Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. Using the water, right? You know, <laughs> using the water. But, you know, when you do that, it saves you so much money. And, you know, okay, so you might spend a couple grand on one of these water heaters. But if all of a sudden your utility is saving, is, is throwing 500 to a grand at you, that's, you're getting out down to where a regular water heater costs. And the reason why I went with Bradford White and I don't want to make this sound like a Bradford White commercial because it's not. And plus, they're not paying us to say this. But they're the only model out there that's repairable. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know. But we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G. and Caroline B., your new kind of home improvement. <laughs> every single week. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Caroline. We are not your grandfather's home improvement show. No, we are not. Oh, your grandmothers. We are are not not old school. So, no, not at all. Not at all. This is not your typical call-in home improvement radio with has the retired handyman (laughs) in there. And no offense to my brother, handyman Bob, (laughs) that was the former host of this years and years ago. This is a new kind of home improvement show where we're going to help you get into that deep dive and solve some problems like today. We're talking about DIY projects that can help save you money. And they're fun. Because I tell you what, things are not getting cheaper out there. And these are fun things to do. They're like gadgety. You can put them in. The thermostat was a Christmas present in our house. Everybody got one. Yeah. Well, here's what's cool about that. You know, you think about it, there's two big things in energy in your house that you spend it on. First off is heating and cooling. Mm -hmm. And second of all is heating water. So let's talk about heating and cooling a little bit because, you know, I'm I'm a smart home technology guy, but like you and your house putting in that, I think you're putting Ecobee in, right? Ecobee with a sensor system and voice, voice activated. So by putting that in... There you go. You can listen to some tunes on your Ecobee. Mm -hmm. By putting that in, it's going to save you guys some money because it is so much more in tune to what you guys are doing. Absolutely. What I like about that is that that sensor is now, you know, you think about it. In an old heating and cooling system, you have that old 40-year-old thermostat on the wall that's got the little mercury switch and you, and you, you set it up so it's, okay, this is right where... I'm going to keep it at 70 and it's always there and there's no sense to it at all. You either turn on the fan, you turn it off and on, maybe automatic and that's all you got. Or even if it's a little digital display, all you're doing is punching it up and punching it down. Now you've got something that is actually measuring multiple places around your house. It's measuring humidity. Mm. It's measuring all these things. So now it can start saying, Hey, I want to make it more comfortable for you. So I'm going to turn the fan on instead of just hurt, turning the heat and cold on. And, and that keeps you from getting And cold. also, 
they seem to locate these thermostats in like weird places. Like where's your thermostat in your house? Ours is in the middle of like the hallway where there's no windows. There, It's like the tiniest hallway. And of course, it's going to regulate the temperature to that, to that space. But everywhere in the ha- house, it could be cold or hot, depending on how many windows you have, et cetera. Where's yours at? Mine is in a hallway. But here's the key that you don't want, which is smart. You don't want a window there because if you have that window open, it's a sunny day and you're <laughs> off doing your exactly. thing and all of a sudden – you know, it's it's July and you got that bacon heat coming in and all of a sudden you got a 140 degree thermostat, it seems, because the, the sun's coming in and it's baking that thing. And now it thinks the house is 20 degrees warmer than it is. So they hide it in the. So you want to hide it. They hide it. But sometimes yeah. that's good and sometimes it's bad. Like we have two thermostats and one's hidden in a room, which is on the colder side of the house. Right. And then the other one is in the middle yep. of the, the hallway. So it's kind of strange how that works. So my house is a little more complex because we just put a new system in. So I have a zoned system. So I have a two-story house. I've got one in the hallway right when you walk in the front door, mm-hmm. which is very close to the air return. Mm. And then the second one is upstairs in the master bedroom. So that's where that one is, which I like because in the summertime, that is always hotter upstairs than it is downstairs. So now I can control that temperature independently of downstairs. Nice. Where you have a single zone system, Single right? zone with two thermostats. Yeah. So now you it will go, hey, we need to make sure and, and anticipate. And some of these systems will even anticipate going, hey, we need to make sure it looks like it's going to be a hot day. We're going to make sure and turn the fan on and move the air around and, and see you're a cold day. And so it's a really smart, and I use air quotes when I say that, way of managing that heat, which in turn saves you money. So we opened the box to the Ecobee and there there was a little box that connected onto our furnace. A little, I guess it was like a, a, a switch, a relay switch sort of thing. Um, and so mm-hmm. I asked Eric, well, you know, why do we need this versus you? And because he didn't need one. And now I guess Ecobee just started putting them in the boxes. They were not something they did originally. Yeah. Correct. My old EQB didn't have that. And and here's the reason why. There are multiple wire configurations for a heating and cooling system or even just a heating system when you're talking a central forced air type system. So what happens is, is if you've got a 1960s or 70s, you could have a three or a four wire system where new systems use six or more wires to it. And that's because there's multiple things that have to be controlled. And so what happens is with that is with all those wires, you have more control and a very old system doesn't have a common wire. Sometimes that common wire is what powers that Ecobee thermostat. And so that's where the power is coming through. That's low voltage to power that old thermostats didn't need power. They were just turning something off and on. It was like a regular light switch, Mm -hmm. right? It went, hey, it's cold. I need to turn the heat on. Switch. Switch. And that's all it did. You're not communicating via Wi-Fi. You're not playing music. You're not doing all those things through it that a new thermostat. So it's got to get its power from someplace. So what that does is that that takes that power that's coming off of the board that's inside your heating and cooling system that's down in your utility room or garage or wherever that is. And that's sending power through another wire 
to get to the thermostat so that has power. So that wire goes from your furnace all the way through your house up to wherever your thermostat's located, correct? Correct. So like my house, when they did the new heating and cooling system, I had, I think, a three-wire in there, which I couldn't run a smart thermostat on. I didn't have anywhere near enough wires. So when we put the new one in, I ran, uh, you know, a huge trunk of cable in there so I can have the control. And I think we're using six wires on that. We have all the different, you know, things going. And mine is so complex, I didn't actually use an Ecobee. I used the carrier setup because I have much more controls going on with that system because it's much more complex even than what the Ecobee And it's just one wire so people understand that's going up. You're calling, it's got six wires, but it's all incorporated into one wire, common wire. It's one cable, cable, but there's six Mm -hmm. wires, if that makes sense. So that's the difference. So when you're doing that heating and cooling, like with me, I was doing some remodeling. I was doing some some drywall repair. I had found an area where I had had some carpenter ants that I'd repaired. So I had the area kind of around that where, you know, where that thermostat was. So a year ago, I ran a new thermostat wire because I was close. Mm. I was like, okay, I know I knew I'm going to be doing this. So I ran a new thermostat wire outside and then I just coiled that roll of wire up over the top of the, the heating and cooling system until yeah. I had it. But I planned ahead when I did that remodel because I knew I was going to have to put a new wire in there. And I knew we were going to be doing drywall cuts to get it there. Hmm. So with our system, because we don't have a common wire that has enough capacity, they give you a a booster, right? It's kind of like a booster. It's not even a booster. All it's doing is diverting power over to another wire because you have four wires there. It's powering that thermostat via a second wire and the thermostat goes, hey, we've got power over here. So I know you're using that little box. And so now it can run and do its all stuff. Nice. Now, when we come back, we're going to have to run out to break. Let's talk about another thing outside of doing a thermostat swap out. We're going to talk about heating water. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. with Eric G and Caroline B. It's a new kind of home improvement show for everybody out there. Thanks for joining us. Well, Caroline and I have been talking about those DIY projects that can save you money. And this is going to be a big segment here because water is one of the most expensive things in your house that you pay a lot for to heat and even to use. And so let's talk a little bit about this, things that you can do to save yourself some money. And just from a safety standpoint, water heaters are notorious for water leaks and also other things can go wrong. You can they can explode. So if you don't maintain these, a lot of people will tell me, oh, my water heater is 21 years old. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The bottom can rust out. You can have all kinds of issues. You need to change these. How many how often would you say you have to change a water heater? You know, most water heaters fail at about the 10 year mark. That's about where you see the average water heater go. And I know you're going to have people out there that go, mine's been in there for 27 <laughs> years. I get it. Not a good plan though. You know, I mean, it's like, what's the average car does somebody have before they get rid of it? I know people out there that got 300,000 miles on a 30 year old car, but that's not the norm. 
You know not what I mean? Not the average. That is not the average. But 10 years is about where I start looking at it going, hmm, okay. And it's a lot of it has to do with the kind of water you have and the kind of maintenance that was done. You know, if you've got a two-year-old water heater right now, you just moved into a house and it's two years old and you've got kind of hard water, you've got a well, man, you should be turning that electric water heater off or turning the gas off to it and draining that thing out. Get the water and the sediment and out of the nobody bottom. nobody does, this is key. Nobody does this. Like if right. I go into a house, right? I've been an ins- inspector for 25 years. If I were to ask my clients and I've probably seen, you know, 30,000 houses, nobody's doing this. So what, I just give a quick recap how they do this and why they have to do it. Let me say why first, because this is a personal experience at my house. I lived on a farm on a well in eastern Washington, and we had three people on this well, and it was fairly hard water coming out of it. I went to go drain it after 18 months in this house. Brand new water heater, brand new house. I had to get in there and actually push air because there was 10 inches of settlement Sediment. in the bottom of this thing. So that a little electric 40-gallon water heater had 20, 25% of the capacity missing. And one of the elements was actually in that hard water sediment at the bottom. So it wasn't even Just embedded in it. It couldn't do anything. It was just encapsulated with it. Wow. So I ended up taking, turning the water off, taking the elements out, and actually having to run... Uh, a piece of wire up into it to get that sediment out of the way because when you opened the valve, nothing had come out because it was like a dam. It was clogged up. After 18 months in hard water. So that's how crazy that was. So it was something that I had to do about every eight to 10 months at that house. (laughs) And, you know, I was in my early 20s. I didn't have money to put in for a water conditioning system in there. It was like, all right. So I just had to go out there and Turn the water off, turn the power off. Of course, you turn the power or gas off first because you'll bake that water heater up if it's dry. But cleaning that out, man, that was a huge difference. And it saved a lot on electricity because I'm not heating, you know, sediment Sediment. in the bottom of the tank. (laughs) A foot of sediment. Oh, yeah. So typically, how do you drain it? So there's a, a nozzle that you can typically turn on and off, right, to drain it out. And do you attach a hose to that and then allow it to funnel out? What do you do? And obviously yeah, so you have sediment. so first thing you do taken. is uh, turn the power gas off the unit because you want to do that. Then turn the water off to that unit. Sometimes if they did you a favor, they put a shutoff valve right in front of the water heater where you can do that. Now, if you hook a hose up just to the bottom of that and you run the hose outside, don't put it in your yard because you'll probably kill the grass right there. Because if you put 130 degree water on your grass, you're going to bake the crap out of it and you're going to kill the lawn. So you don't want to do that. So put it in a place where the water can get soaked in or into a storm drain system or something like that, you know, where it's not a bad place to go. Uh, good for cleaning out areas as well. If you've got a floor drain that you want outside or something that's uh, in your driveway that you want to clean out, it's not a bad place to put it. So what you do is you drain that open. And then what I do is, it's not going to drain very well because there's suction in that, right? So mm-hmm. you want to release that. So I tur- I hit the pressure relief valve, open that up to break the vacuum so water then can then get pushed out. Hmm. So the water will drain that way, and then you can get that out of there. 
And then does what the do sediment I do? typically come out when you do that? Will it allow it to flow, or do you Most have to kind of go up there and loosen, snake it a little bit? Uh, if you got to snake it, you're going to be wearing water. That's the only bad part. <laughs> you're just wearing water. It's just what it is. So that's one way to do it. And then what I do is I give it a final rinse after that. What I'll do is I'll I'll keep the the hose in there. I'll keep everything open, and then I'll turn the water on for a minute or two. And just let that drain out. And I'll turn it off and on a few times and let it kind of rinse itself out. Because I noticed that got even additional sediment out of it. And so that worked pretty good. So that was one of those things that that I was pretty happy about getting it cleaned out. And that's a good way to do it. Now, then you're done. Then you're just filling the tank back up, turning the power gas on, lighting the pilot light, and off you go. If you want to save real money, though, and you've got that electric water heater, even gas, you do what I did. And then you switch over to that heat pump style water heater, and that's going to save you big money on, and it's just a simple water heater change out. It's going to save you big money on this. That's our friends at Bradford White. We like their heat you pump water it. heater. Those guys Give are great. Plug. I've got the, yeah. I've got, I've the got gr- a Bradford White gas. I mean, I don't have a, a heat pump water heater, but I have the Bradford White, and I just love it. I mean, I will always replace with another one. Yeah, I've got the gas. I had the gas at my house. It was a 20-year-old gas. I knew it was going, so I put in the heat pump Bradford White. And that is saving me at my house, that water heater, about $175 to $200 a year in heating costs. That's and some that's big steaks. Money. Yeah, yeah, that's some, <laughs> that's some so, prime steaks. No, yeah, kidding. it is. And so you think about it. So it's paying for itself really quickly. And if you do the math, there's a usually a lot of uh, your electric utilities out there are trying to get you to convert to those. So there is a lot of incentives out there. I've seen $500. I've seen $1,000 incentives to pay you to change over. So there's some really good incentives out there to do that. And it's the same with the Ecobee. A lot of people are, a lot of heating and cooling, um, uh, like my utility here is giving away a free Ecobee if you nice. just sign up for it and they'll send you one. They'll even come out and install it for you. What do you need with the heat pump water heater? So if you're going to do an install, because a lot of our listeners are DIY, is there something different? I mean, are you going to a different system? You're going to need a water drain for that, correct? Yes. When we come back, let's talk about this when we come back. We'll talk about how those install in. And it's actually pretty simple, even for me going from gas to electric. You know, it's funny. My house was originally built with electric. They came in and converted a lot of these things to gas. And then I converted that back over to electric (laughs) again because I already had the electric there so we could go and do that. And that's one of those things that it's a pretty easy DIY project. It's not this hard to do. So we come back, we'll talk about more of that. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. Hey, this is Farewell Angelina, and you're listening to Around the House with Eric G. Welcome back to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, that new kind of home improvement show you hear every single week. Thanks for joining us. Well, we've been talking about really those DIY projects are going to save you money because... 
we know that we got to figure out better ways to save money out there. All of us do. And these are some things that you can do to put some of that money back in your pocket. Nice. Now, Caroline, you were just asking some questions about heat pump water heaters as a DIY project, right? Yeah, because it gets a little overwhelming. Like, so I have a gas water heater. So I was asking, you know, what do you prefer to do with that line? You're not going to need that gas line anymore. So should you remove it? Should you just cap it? And I asked Eric, you know, what his opinion was. Yeah, so here's what you do first, you know, get the the right sized, you know, heat pump water here. For my house, because I knew I'm doing an addition here in the next year or two, what we're going to do is we're going to have another bathroom in there. So we thought, okay, let's size it for that because we're doing this once. And so I changed my 40-gallon gas to an 80-gallon heat pump. And the reason why I went a little bit bigger was, one, that we're going to be adding another bathroom or so on there. But two, I want to run it in heat pump mode all the time, which does heat slower than what a gas water heater would be if it's on heat pump only. But mine has control, so I can put it into heat pump and electricity mode. So let's talk about that, of how that how that works. I think I just have one question to go back to with the DIY Who's going to help them size it? So how do you size it yourself to make sure you're sizing it appropriately? You know, you can go on to any one of the websites like Bradford White or, or talk to the people down at uh, Bradford White's not a company you're going to get at the home center. That's where you go down to the to the the heating and cooling store, Plumbing you know, store. and go down to that wholesaler and go down and get it from. So you're going to run down and get it through there. But Really, when it comes down to it, there's a couple different ways to do it. It's pretty easy to do. And like, for instance, mine, I have an 80-gallon heat pump, and I run it on heat pump only. And how that works, just so you think about the heat pump that's in your house. You got the air conditioner type unit that's outside, and it's taking, when you're in the heat mode, it's taking the heat from outside and putting it inside the house, Mm -hmm. you know, versus Mm -hmm. using a gas. And that's how that works. It's the same thing that they're doing is they're taking in my house here, they're taking heat out of the garage area and putting it into the water. So it's that same theory without having to use an electric element, which is, you know, much less efficient Mm -hmm. because it uses a lot of power. My 80 gallon heat pump water heater, when it's in heat pump only mode and it's fully heating is using about five light bulbs worth of power of incandescent light bulbs. Nice. That's all. So that's how I can heat for about a hundred bucks a year with my electricity rates where I was paying almost $400 a year with gas. Ouch. So there's a huge difference with that. So really you just need to have power. You know, you take a look at the water heater that you size. It's usually 30 or 40 amps Mm -hmm. um, because there is that backup. So if you have, you know, it's the holidays, you got people over, there's they're using showers, or you've got a lot of heavy water usage. You can put it into that uh, hybrid mode so it'll it'll quick recover if you need to. So just so people recap, if you've got a gas water heater like I do, you're going to need some ampage. So you're going to have to have electric for this one if you're going to make the conversion. Yeah. And then you're also yep. going to have to have a water drainage because the way the heat pump works, it's going to distribute moisture back out of that system. So as it collects water, I mean, think about it as things condense, right? You bring hot and colds together. You always have a condensation aspect that happens. And so no different in a heat pump, you've got to get rid of that water. So where do you drain to? So what mine does, um, 
so I just mine drains right back outside again. So I have a a uh, mine drops right out, drops right down, goes right outside the house, drops on the outside out there, and it drops even in humid weather. It might drop a couple cups of water out there, but there's really not a lot. A little, just a little bit. Yeah. And you're running there's just a hose. Are you running there, like a PVC? What are you running outside? Just PVC line goes out. I put the little trap in it. Follow your local code mm-hmm. of what they require, but mine just drops right out. I've got a little discussion plate drops out, looks clean, drops right down, and uh, waters my flower bed outside. Sweet. That works really well. That's good. That's clever. Using the water, right? You know, <laughs> using the good. water. But, you know, when you do that, it saves you so much money. And, you know, okay, so you might spend a couple grand on one of these water heaters, but if all of a sudden your utility is saving, is, is throwing 500 to a grand at you. It's nice. That's you're getting now down to where a regular water heater costs. And the reason why I went with Bradford white, and I don't want to make this sound like a Bradford white commercial cause it's not. And plus they're not paying us to say this, <laughs> but they're the only model out there that's repairable. So a lot of the other heat pump water heaters that are out there, if you have a compressor issue or anything else that you would see, like out of a normal heating and cooling system, they send you another water heater. You got to change the whole water heater out. This Ugh. one here actually has a repairable system. So a heating and cooling professional under warranty can come out and repair the parts and you're not, you're not losing water. You can just keep it on the regular heat. They'll come out there, do some quick work on it and off you go. Trick question or a question. Do heat pump water heaters have to be maintained the same way a gas or electric? Do you still have to do that general clean out? Yeah, I would still do the same thing because you still are taking water and heating it. Though I will say you will traditionally get a little bit less sediment on the heat pump side because you're heating the water less violently. You're not having that Hmm. superheated area there, which tends to really almost like boil the water in that certain area. When you've got a flame down there on that bottom plate, you've got this area that's superheated water that's now... All the actually cal- warming everything else. All that calcification. Like if you think about boiling water in a pot, what happens when you let it boil out? You get all that sediment that's at the bottom. Yeah, that's a great point. And I like water temps. Let's talk water temps a little bit just for sanitary reasons. I like a hot water temp when you're sanitizing, you know, if you're in your kitchen and you're sanitizing your cutting boards and you need a hot water. I like instant on demand water if you want coffee or tea. I also like to know that my washing machine Um, is washing my clothes above 140 degrees. And the reason we want that is so that we kill dust mites and mold and all of these things that get into our clothing and proteins, et cetera. So it's real important to have a good water temp. And most of the time you have to control it from the water heater. So any tips about temperature? Yeah, first, you know, they always say that for safety with kids that they really want that at 120, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then the problem becomes now you've got a sanitizing issue because you've got this down... And then yes or got- no. Yes or no. Because here's what happens. Um, you really can't depend on your water heater to give you water hot enough to sanitize within reason. Because if you've got the hot water heater even set at 140 degrees, mm-hmm. there's literally no way you're getting 140 degrees at the faucet because it is cooling. Through the pipes. You know, it's pretty easy mm-hmm. for to have 140 degree water temperature and to run the water for three, four, five minutes and still have 115, 110 degree water at the faucet. Mm-hmm. 
And then on top of that, as soon as you think about this, as soon as you turn on the faucet, right, out of the water heater, you have water that is now entering the water heater that's cold. Correct. So you're cooling that down. The more that runs, the more cool water's in there, and now the water heater's kind of kind of compensated. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get at 140 degrees. You're generally not going to get anywhere near that at the faucet side. So if you want to sanitize dishes, if you want to sanitize clothes, you are 100% relying on that dishwasher or washer and dryer setting to do that. And on an on-demand system, well, that, that gives you additional power too, right? If you have an on-demand hot water. It doesn't give you any additional, doesn't give you any additional temperature. The problem with on-demand is, is that you have to, you have a certain time that it takes to kick that on. So since there's no tank really there, you turn the water on and that has to trigger that to fire to put the heat into it. And then you get that, you'll get constant water. Now, let's talk about this when we come back. Let's go out to break. and we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that, about using water and how you can save money there. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. Hi everybody, I'm Ari Kameen from Steven Adler's band and you are listening to Around the House with Eric G and the beautiful Caroline. Welcome back to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, your new kind of home improvement show every single week. Thanks for being a part of this today. Caroline and I have been talking about DIY projects that could save you some money. And here's one, we're going to continue talking about water here. And Caroline, I wanted to tell a story, and you've heard me tell this story to you before, kind of off air. But, you know, I did my shower project, uh, you know, a year and a half or so ago. And here's what happened. This is what's kind of interesting. I had that old 1977 shower, tub shower, you know, steel tub. It had the the Formica backsplash because it was a contemporary nice. house. You know, the Formica, it was all white, <laughs> you know, kind of all murdered white out. And with the Delta faucet and a, and a nice, I think it was a Delta hand shower that was decent, right? And I knew I was going to be changing it out, but here's what I didn't expect. When I changed out that system, put the new shower in, I'm like, oh, there goes my water bill. I'm so in trouble. I'm so in trouble. My water bill is going to, and my water here is very expensive. Uh, water can be, water can be crazy. And... I realized looking back now that I've used that shower year over year, I used about 25% less water, but it feels like I'm getting more. And that's, what's crazy. My water bill went down 25% with that new shower system. See, I'm so spoiled because I have a well, so I'm not, that whole concept just blows my mind how much you pay for water. It's expensive. Like what do you pay per quarter? Um, I don't know what I pay for quarter. We don't we don't use much. Um, I pay about two hundred to three hundred bucks a month, not counting watering any plants. If I start watering flowers and stuff like that, I can get into a four hundred dollar monthly bill. 
Wow. It's so, I mean, right? It's just crazy because I have a well. I'm in in the rainy city, right? You know? Mm -hmm. That's so wild. Yeah. So that that adds up quickly. Um, But I do get good, clean, conditioned water that comes in here too. So I I can't complain about that. And I don't have to go pay for a new well to be put in or a new pump or any of that other stuff. So, I mean, it's definitely a plus and minus with that. But here's the thing. When I go and stay at a hotel... There is nothing more that I hate than going into that hotel and having water barely coming through that energy-saving waterhead. I just don't feel clean. You know, we've talked about this, and I always go with the more, the higher gallon-per-minute showerhead. And I know they're making it very challenging to get those now because of energy efficiency and water efficiency. Um, But I just, I need that spray to feel clean. It's like, I need to have that power where I have very long hair. And so I feel like I want to wash my hair and get the shampoo out. And I just feel I get a cleaner rinse than just this dainty shower, you know, mist that comes out. I guess mist is a good word. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. And this comes down to the design of the shower head. So, you know, like you go stay in a hotel in like Las Vegas and a lot of the hotels you get, you know, it's now a 25-minute shower just to get enough water out to get yourself the soap <laughs> That's off. That's terrible. And it's I horrible. It's disgusting. Right? I don't feel clean. I but when you – no, and you don't. But when you get into good water management out of shower heads, they have now designed the water to give almost like a spin or a twirl to it. Mm-hmm. So they've made it feel like it's a lot of water. It tricks your brain but it also is giving you better coverage. So it's all about the location of where the holes are and how they're making the water spray out and how the kind of turbo jet action of the water comes out. Hmm. If you go get a really good shower head, you get what you pay for with a shower head, especially with the new low flow stuff. And that's, that's kind of the law of the land here in the United States. You are not getting a shower. And here's the problem now. I mean, 15 years ago, I'd go, oh, cool. I'd get my pocket knife out. I'd little pop the energy saver thing out of the back of it, and I'd have a great shower head. You can't do that anymore because now all of a sudden you're taking that maybe two-gallon-per-hour shower head or whatever that's in there. It's two gallons per minute, but I always say two gallons per hour because I'm being facetious. But <laughs> now you've made it like six, right? You're you're now just blowing water everywhere. Yeah, it's a And mess. the shower head technically works. It'll work worse. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't work as well. So Mm-mm. don't go popping those out. And I, I was the biggest guy to do that for years. I just go up oh, fixing this one. What is that? No, like an, it's an aerator? Is that what it, it is? Like an aerator? Not, well, it kind of is. Now it's an aerator and it's uh, it helps. That's the thing that helps get the spin in the water and getting it to do whatever the the trademarked version of, of water management. The they water have. So magic. You need that in there. Water magic. It's the magic piece. Yeah, so don't do that. The other thing that you can do too now, that's in changing shower heads, there's nothing simpler to that, you know, to change out a shower head and get a good one. Now, the other thing that you can do too is get rid of that old three and a half gallon 1977 flush toilet and put in something that's more efficient because you can now use a, a one or a 1.2 gallon flush and really save some money as well and have something that'll technically work better. Yeah, those are amazing. I mean, I, it it blows my mind to see how little water can actually flush your toilet. And you think it's not going to work because you're like, oh, there's going to be debris left and there's going to be, you're going to have to clean the toilet more frequently, but they're actually really good. 
Exactly. I mean, it's interesting. Um, so you start thinking about it. If you replace that three and a half gallon flush, even with a 1.6 gallon, which is a lot of water these days, that's re- that's that's a 54% reduction in water, in water that you're using. That's huge. And so, I mean, it's crazy. So if you start thinking about it, a 1.28 gallon per flush toilet, which is a fairly common one out there, saves you 10 gallons of water per day on average. So you take that out to a year, that's 3,650 3, gallons of water you're saving from that toilet. That's important. And I think that's somehow- That's a lot of water. That's a lot of water. And I think people, like, they may be more- open to the idea of using it in a shower, right? Like if you're paying for water, you may say, oh, I don't mind Mm -hmm. if I use more water because I'm showering in it, right? There's a purpose to it. With your toilet water, you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm paying for this water and it's just going down the drain. So I feel that, you know, it's even more important to use it on the, on the toilet side, just so people can, you know, save that, that amount of money. They're not, I mean, there's no purpose to it, right? Other than Rinsing away your poop and pee, <laughs> you're basically yeah. You're paying so, a lot so of money to do that. So let's think about that again. That that's saving you on average about one hundred and ten dollars per year is what that's doing. Now here's the thing. There's a little there's a little asterisk to all this that I want to make sure that we touch on. If you go buy that house brand toilet, that's a you know the hundred dollar one off the home center shelf. You are not going to see those savings because so many of those toilets were so badly engineered that you're going to have to flush them twice, which completely negates this whole water savings thing. Well, and explain to them why you taught me this about big box stores and their inventory. A lot of the stuff ends up being damaged or having problems, and that's why it ends up in a big box store. And I never knew that. I just thought, you know, they manufactured maybe more of this brand and that's why it's there or they have a special deal with that company to give it away at a cheaper price, but that's not always the case. There are a lot of companies out there that you see on the shelves of big box stores and plumbing that they're sitting there and what happens is, is that you're sitting there and you go, oh, this is brand X and I don't want to call brands out, but they all do this there in the home centers and all of a sudden you've got a second there. So you think about they're manufacturing stuff and they're like, okay, you know, it's made out of porcelain. So it's not a perfect science. There's not every toilet that comes out of their production line. That's awesome. They'll go, Oh, that one's got a little flaw on the side where nobody's going to see it. Great. That's going to the home center. That's a B grade toilet. That one's Mm -hmm. perfect. Going to the plumbing wholesaler. That's this one. So they're, they're giving you the B grades in the home center because the home centers are always pushing these guys I want a cheaper price. I want a cheaper price. I want a cheaper price. Mm. And to be honest, that's why I don't buy toilets from home centers because I actually go over to my local plumbing store and buy my DXV, Toto, whatever higher in brand that I'm going with because it's going to work better and it's going to be easier to clean because a lot of these companies put another finish on these toilets to keep them so they're easier to clean and you have less maintenance down the road. Hey, Caroline, I think I hear that music. It is that time. Uh, We have covered this today. Saving you money and giving you DIY. What's better than around the house? All right. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around Around the the House. House.
it's Eric G from around the house. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.